Vida Abundante welcomes you to our SoundCloud page. We'd like to invite you to download our app, available in the App Store and on Google Play. Also, you can now follow us on Instagram under the name Vida Abu or on Facebook under the name Vida Abundante Cicero. that messed up why is God having to pay for people that have gone astray and have messed up and have uh, committed adultery and have gone after other gods why is God having to give up his gifts for them shouldn't the people be giving gifts shouldn't the people become begging to God and asking for forgiveness but this again shows us who God is and and this is why Hosea is so important for us and and so the, the rest of the verse goes I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love, and in mercy. So we have four other, three other gifts. And verse 20 says, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So we have five gifts that the Lord, God, is giving to his people. Once again, the type of people that are receiving these gifts are the type of people that have themselves gone astray. These are the people that are the receptors or the beneficiaries of God's gift. And again, it is people that did not deserve God, that deserved to be abandoned completely by God forever, yet they receive gifts. The way God purchases them, the way God deals with them is completely opposite of however we would ever deal with anyone, and this becomes part of who, uh, part of our knowledge and our understanding of who God is. So this is why today is very important for us because we're going to jump into the first part of getting to know God. And I've been wanting to teach this to our Spanish church for a long time, so you guys are the first ones that actually get to hear it and begin to learn about it. But what we're going to dive into in these two verses are parts of God's attributes, those characteristics that make us know who God is. They are divine attributes. They are attributes that that show us who God is. So so what I want you guys to understand today is is to get a very in-depth look at this first aspect of God giving his gift. One of his gifts that he gives, the first one that he gives, is righteousness. So Righteousness is the form that God uses to pay for his bride. What does righteousness mean? Do we have a basic notion of righteousness? Maybe some of us can understand a little bit what righteousness is. And and what's more interesting is that it's corresponded with righteousness and justice in the first verse. In verse 19, it has righteousness and justice. So Aren't those two the same things, or what do each mean? And so what I really want to get at today is for us to learn this aspect, this attribute of God's uh, righteousness, of God's character, of God's nature. I think that as much as the church knows about God will reflect a lot of their dealings, will reflect a lot of the way they live. If you know more about God, if you understand who God is, if you understand the nature of God, you will be irrevocably changed by it. 
So this is why, why it's so important for us to know who God is, and especially on this aspect, because God is buying back his bride by giving things that are characteristically basic of his nature. What God is giving is what completely describes God. I mean, most of us here, if you've been married, you've received gifts from your wedding day that you may still have in storage or in the basement because it's probably like a little taco plate or something that you don't like or, or a re-gift of somebody that has just been passed on and passed on and passed on. I think there's a joke about that candle that everyone passes down. They receive a candle, the candle doesn't smell any good, and they just keep passing it on. They're gifts that no one likes. And if you've been married, you, you're pro- you probably received some of those. Or if you've gone to a wedding, you've probably given one of those gifts. And it's probably not a really good one. You just kind of went to the dollar store and got a candle and said, Merry Christmas or uh, Happy uh, New Year. Or here, have a blessed wedding. Here's a, warming, a housewarming gift. So they're gifts that are just kind of second thought. But what God gives, he's giving himself. That's, that's what we really must understand in his attributes and in this purchasing back. Because in chapter 3, when we go through chapter 3, we're going to understand this whole purchasing of the wife concept again. But what I want you to get today is God is purchasing with what is his nature. This is him. This isn't an, an, an extra gift. You see the previous gifts in chapter 2? God gave back vineyards, God gave back the fruit, God gave back peace, God gave back joy, God restored a lot of things. Those were secondary gifts to his bride, which were good gifts, but they weren't him. The bride is receiving God completely. There's five ways that she receives him in in righteousness and in justice and in mercy and in steadfast love and in faithfulness. But this first one is one of the most important ones because it is completely our understanding of God. What is righteousness? What does righteousness mean? And why is God using his righteousness as a gift to seal this commitment? Well, I want to read Jeremiah to you really quick. Jeremiah, if you can open your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 31. I want to read a very common passage that many of us know, but this is what I want to get at with with the first righteousness attribute. Chapter 31, I'm going to read to you verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah is a prophet later on after Hosea, so he's not in the same time frame of Hosea. He's probably 200, 300 years after Hosea, but he's prophesying about the same thing. So look at what it says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I, make, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that, I, that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them 
To the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So this is God letting his people know that a time will come when his law will be embedded in their hearts. This is why Christians in this century, we don't, we don't read a law book. We don't read uh, 613 laws and abide by every single law because the law in itself, as opposed or in the Old Testament, isn't what we live by. So that law has been reversed, and now God buys us back with a law that is embedded in our hearts. It is not a law externally. It is a law internally. It is a marriage not on the external basis. It is a marriage in, on an internal basis. There isn't just prerequisites for the marriage externally, which is what most marriages are in, in some cases. But it is an internal marriage, and it is God pointing directly at the heart. And the way to get to the heart God uses is by righteousness. His rectitude, his straightforwardness. This is a new law that is found directly in the heart of man. And so when his wife, when this Israel is, is uh, restored, what happens? She is changed internally. It's not just an external change. It's not just something that she does on the outside. What happens to this wayward wife? What happens to this wife that is typically in whoredom and in prostitution? What happens to this wife that is typically moving away from God every day? She is changed from the inside out. This is God impregnating inside of his people a new law, a new law that responds to love. This is God loving his people and forgetting their sins. And this shows us one of the greatest aspects and attributes of God, which is communicable. I think we talked about that a little bit last week, and I'll get more into that later on, which is a communicable aspect of God, which we share with him in righteousness. God gives a new law, a new heart, but forgets the sin. This is impressive. This is beyond our understanding or our, our, our kind of comprehension because we sin and God forgets. We sin and we fail and God holds that not against his people because we're not living in the same times as Hosea. And that's why Hosea is pointing forward. There will come a moment in time where you will not abide by a law book, but you are going to abide by a law that's in your heart. And when you break that law in your heart, you will know it. Because this is who you are. This is who you love. This is who you respond to. When you break a law as a Christian, when you break God's sovereign law over your life, when you've gone away from God's uh, law in your heart, you know you've done it because you are a son and daughter of Christ. This is where those on the external side of religion just say, well, what do we have to do? Like, just give us, 
you know, let, if we have to go to church to be cool with God, then cool. I'll go to church to be cool with God. Do I have to give my offering? Okay, I'll give offering to be cool with God. Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? So it's an external form of relationship with God, and it has nothing to do with the heart. And God says, I don't want any of that on the external. I want your heart. So when somebody, when, when a person that loves God, that is in a relationship, whole heart relationship with God, breaks that, they feel that. That is why the Christian does not sin comfortably. When the Christian fails, when the Son of God fails, we feel it and we repent and we go before God and we ask for forgiveness. We don't just keep living our lives as if nothing happened. When that happens, then it's because we are not born again in the heart. We haven't been taken, we haven't had a new heart that is born of God. So this becomes very important. That's why I want to set this up for you guys so that you, based off this foundation, you'll begin to understand this attribute of righteousness. So righteousness goes profound, uh, uh, profound in the heart to establish rectitude and straightforwardness with God because righteousness means straightness. I want you guys to picture this. Picture righteousness and picture a straight line. Now, if I were to ask you guys, draw a line with your hand and draw like a three-foot line and draw it, and, and you would draw it, and it would kind of come out crooked, but it would be kind of straight to a certain sense, and then draw with a ruler, and you'd be able to draw a straight line with a ruler, right? But what if I were to tell you, draw a straight line with your opposite hand that you're used to writing with, and if you're ambidextrous, well, this doesn't apply to you, but if, if you're a right-handed person, then... Draw a, a straight line with your left hand, and how is that line going to come out? It's going to come out pretty nasty because you're not used to it. It's pretty crooked. So I want you to com compare and contrast a straight line drawn with a ruler with a crooked line drawn with a hand that you're not used to writing. And this is the greatest contrast that we see in verse 19. God's righteousness next to the crookedness of Israel. So let's get back into this Verse In verse 19, he comes at us and he says, With righteousness, I will buy them with righteousness and with justice. Righteousness opposed next to the crookedness of his people. This is, this is why I love the Hebrew Bible because it talks about, it puts these contrasts immediately up for us to understand. We've been learning completely about Israel's ways. And all of Israel's ways have been crooked. None of it is straight. And then God says, I'm going to buy you back with righteousness. All Israel did before God was be crooked. All Israel did as a people of God was be crooked, curvy, distorted. And all God ever was with Israel was straight, was righteous completely straight and, and focused. And so now Israel has given God their crookedness and God has given Israel his righteousness. Here, I want you to feel this because Jeremiah prophesied, we just read it, Jeremiah prophesied that this law is in the heart now. This is a law for us to, to live under by God's new covenant. It's a completely new covenant where we live by loving God and adoring him and le le leading a life that is straight. And how is it straight? 
because God has taken away the sin and has forgotten the sin. How are we able to live straight before God? We can't on our own. We've done it through Jesus Christ. And that is the new covenant that God has been promising and what Jeremiah and Hosea are talking about. You are, are going to be able to live in a straight and narrow line, a straightforward line now, because God has given that gift to you. So while we talk about these attributes and these five attributes in, in, in verse 19 and 20, while we talk about this, I want you to keep this in the back of your head. That all of these attributes are given to us and God is giving them to his people because he expects them to be done to others. So when God says, I'm buying you back in righteousness, he's not only implying himself giving his righteous life to you, but you are going to live a righteous life with him and with others. Because they're a because it's a communicable attribute. It's something that we share with God. But I want you guys to really feel that and understand that, that this entire time, all Israel has done is proven her wretchedness and her crookedness, and now she stands before a righteous God who is righteous and straight, and now God is giving that, us, that to us. How are we ever going to stand before God? How are we ever going to look to God and, and, and be comfortable with it? Well, now we understand that God's in the new covenant. God has given us his rectitude, his straightforwardness. If I were to ask you, go before God uh, right now, maybe many of us would be kind of like uh, ashamed or, or embarrassed, but, but if you're a true son and daughter of Christ, of God, you can stand before God completely in peace. And the matter of fact, the fact that you're here today is, uh, is kind of a receipt of what God has done. You're able to come before God, those who are here truthfully and with their heart, are able to come before God because God has given you guys righteousness. We have been declared righteous. Do you understand what's going on here with the marriage? The, the fact that the, the bride had no, Israel had no reason to stand at the altar with God. She was not a worthy bride. She was not a clean bride. As a matter of fact, people would have seen uh, in this sense, Gomer, would have, they would have seen Gomer and would have said, you do not belong at the altar. You do not belong with that man. You're a wretch. You're a whore. You're, you're, you're doing all of these evil things, and you do not belong with a white dress at that altar. Out of all the people here, you do not belong here. But what did Jeremiah said? say? I'm giving you a new heart, a new covenant. I'm giving you righteousness. So what is God doing? God is placing his people upon an altar they did not belong to be at. But why are they there? Because they've been declared righteous. Because God has bought them with righteousness. Now, it's not that they don't belong to be there it's that God has made a way for them to be there. And we'll get into it a little bit more, but I just kind of want you guys to see that, that, that contrast between crooked Israel and righteous God and the fact that God straightened up Israel's path. A wretched Israel has now been straightened up by a righteous God. And, and in the entire Old Testament, when we see the, this word tzedek or righteousness, 
we get to understand that this is the nature of God. I'm going to read a lot of uh, passages today. I don't usually do this, but I want to. I want you guys to get this. So it, I'm going to be going back and forth. You could just write these passages down and, and look them up at your home. But just be ready for that because I'm going to read a lot of different passages because I want to show you what God says about himself. This isn't me saying this about God. Oh, I think God is like this. Oh, I think God is righteous. No, no, no. This is what God says about himself, and we read it across the entire Bible. So how are we going to understand righteousness? Well, let's understand what God says about righteousness, and let's understand what God means by righteousness, by what he says. So a lot of these verses, like if you, if you look at Psalm 145, verse 17, 145 verse 17, it says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and in all his works. Here's the beginning aspect of righteousness. Everything God does is right. What is the basic meaning of righteousness again? Straightness. Straightforwardness. It isn't crooked. It doesn't mean that there's glitches, there's cracks in the, in the surface. It's a straight line. The way God acts, the way what God does is righteous. It's straight. It's pure. I want you guys to really get that. We've been studying Hosea this entire time, and God has been acting on his righteousness this entire time. In some cases, he has punished Israel. In some cases, he has come down hard on Israel. In some cases, he has temporarily abandoned Israel. Now when we stand before a righteous God and when we look at a righteous God, are we to say that is evil? Are we to say that is not fair? God, you walked away from your people. You said you would never walk away from your people. God, you, you, you're mistreating your people. You said you would never mistreat your people. Well, we have to know that God is righteous. So the beginning aspect of everything that we have to do with God is that, righteousness. And that's why it's the first gift. You have to know that whatever God does and whatever he moves and however he moves in and whatever he decides to do in one way or another is pure. It's righteous. We cannot say anything negative about something that is 100% pure. We even have now and day... Uh, measures to quantify gold. You go to the gold dealer and uh, you want to sell your gold and they'll look at the purity of it. And sometimes it's 98% pure so you get a certain amount of money. But rarely do you see 100% purity within a piece of gold because it's been contaminated with all these other ex external chemicals. But God's righteousness, God's decisions, God's acting is always true. And this is what the psalm says. This is what the Bible says about him. This is what God is saying about himself, his character. This is why God wanted uh, people to judge with righteousness because it reflects who he is. God is a righteous judge. Psalm 11 verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. His, he loves righteous deeds. God is and he loves to act in righteousness. So it isn't enough that God does something, but he loves to do it because it is right. Always remember that. Everything God does comes from a righteous understanding of who he is. 
He is righteous. All his actions are righteous. And this is because the foundation of what, where he abides is righteous. Look at what Psalm 97 verse 2 says. I mean, you don't have to go there, but you could just look it up at home. 97 verse 2. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Every time in the New Testament we look up, even Jesus says, God is seated on his throne. And the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. Many of us think, oh, the foundation of his throne is love. God is love. That's all who God is. Well, that's one attribute of God. But his throne, the foundation of where he rules by, of where he governs by, of how he acts, is righteousness and justice. I love Psalm 45, verse 7. It says, God hates sin and loves righteousness. So we get this understanding. God is buying back his bride, and he's offering, first off, he's offering righteousness, so he's correcting her crooked ways, and now he says to her, not only in this you will live, not only are you declared righteous, a forensic aspect of the relationship, not only are you supposed to be righteous now, but now everything that you do must be done in righteousness. How are you to love me? How are you to love, if, if you look at it this way, how are you supposed to love your wife and how are you supposed to love your husband? Are you supposed to deviate from your love from them? Are you supposed to uh, kind of love them only a little bit? Are, are, are there cracks in your love for your spouse? Does it make, does it cause you to turn away? Does it cause you to look at someone else and desire them? That's why it's, I always, every time I marry somebody, I've had the privilege to marry several people, and, and, I, and, I, and I tell them, and I'm like, look at them, look, look. They're standing face to face, and they're about to give their, their wedding bands, and they're about to give their walls, and I, and I say, this is the only man or the only woman you're going to ever look at for the rest of your life. I mean, obviously, there's other people you're going to see, but I'm talking about seeing. I'm talking about looking. You are never to look at any other woman or any other man the way you look at your wife. Because you are to love her righteously. You are to love him in righteousness. And so being declared righteous gives us responsibility. So we can feel good and clap and be like, glory to God. I did not deserve to be at the altar with, with, with God. I did not belong and deserve to be in the place with God, and God has declared me righteous. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm in a spot. I'm in a good spot in my life now because I've been declared righteous. Well, in that righteousness, you are now to lead and live a life of righteousness because God didn't declare you omnipotent, all-powerful for you to live a life being all-powerful. God declared you righteous. Now you are to live righteous. This is, this is basic understanding of what the Old Testament was talking about when they saw God, when they understood God, and how God presented himself. 
That's why the judges in the, book of, in, in the first five books of, of, of the Old Testament, in the law, they, are, they were to live and lead their people righteously. If you look at Leviticus 19.15, you'll understand this. It says, this is how the judges were to, supposed to act. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. The basic standard of leading God's people was put up against God's moral and ethical standard of his righteousness. The way they were to lead the people, the way they were to judge the people, the way they were to be in front of the people was righteously. Can you imagine that? Can you picture that today? Governors, people in political leadership are to lead their people righteously. Can you picture that in the 21st century? Can you imagine leaders that lead righteously? It's very difficult to do so. But yet, that was the standard of the theocracy that God implemented in his people. You got to remember, in the Old Testament, there is this thing called theocracy. We live in a democracy. We're democratic. We vote. We, we, we put things in, in place. We put presidents. We, we bring down presidents. We, 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 we're democratic. We have this right to vote and speak. But before God in the Old Testament, the people lived under God. They were in a theocracy. They didn't vote God in. God established himself over his people. And the way God governed was God and his people. That is why there was this big conflict when they wanted a king. God was going to put a king, but they wanted a king like the world. You remember that whole mishappening with, 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 uh, with, with Saul and, 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 and Israel looking for a king like the nations? And God's like, well, you were never designed to be like the other nations. And so people wanted a king. So what were they doing? They were rebelling, re, uh, rebelling against the nature of God. They didn't want to live under his theocracy. But this is how they were to live. In a righteous way, being led by righteous leaders. Now, time doesn't permit, but we'll keep going on next week about this attribute. There's three aspects of the attribute of righteousness. I'm going to spend a lot of time on righteousness because I really want us to understand this. I think we all have gotten a fair grasp of God's mercy and love and faithfulness, but I don't think we've gotten a firm grasp on God's Righteousness. What does it mean for us to be people of righteousness, worshiping a God of righteousness? So one of the first aspects of this relationship that we have with God and what he requires from us is an ethical righteousness. One of, one of the, the aspects of this righteousness becomes this ethical quality between relationships. And this is very strong in the, in the word of God. How we are to live with each other. you got to remember this. Jesus sums up the moral law. Remember, moral law reflects God's moral character, moral attributes, and one of God's moral attributes is righteousness. Jesus sums up this moral law with two. you guys remember the two commandments that Jesus sums up the entire moral law with? What's the first one? Love God with all your heart. Second? Love your neighbor. God 
sums up the entire moral law with just those two commandments. So this ethical aspect of, of God's uh, righteousness plays a huge role with his people. I love the way Harold Stiggers says this. He, he defines uh, righteousness this way. The man who is righteous tries to preserve the peace and prosperity of the community by fulfilling the commands of God in regard to others. In the supreme sense, the righteous man, the Sedeki, is one who serves God. This is the, one of the primary aspects of ethical righteousness. The way we treat others must reflect our service to God. Do you guys understand that? Who you are before others, what you do to others, how you live before others, in the first aspect of this, should reflect our service to God. And in a, in a more basic sense, it's if you know God, if you serve God, if you come to church per se, and if church, coming to church is really meaningful to you, and it's not just like, oh, let me just go before the football game starts so I can feel better about myself. If, if coming to church is really meaningful and it's doing something to you, then you're going to show that by doing the same to others, by living a righteous life with others. So what is this righteousness of, uh, in the aspect of ethics? It becomes consistent with obedience to God's law and nature and, and conforming to it. Mercy for the needy and the hopeless. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more later on. But I want you guys to un understand that in the word of God, we begin to see this. Malachi chapter 3 verse 18. It talks immensely about how we are to be towards others, especially those who are less fortunate than ourselves. It brings back, it brings to light this, this uh, dealing with those that Jesus dealt with who were less fortunate. It's a very important aspect of, of, of righteousness. We have a good example, not only in Malachi, but we have a good example of this in the book of Job. Just turn very quickly to the book of Job. I want you guys to get familiar with your Bibles. I'm going to be flipping some pages here. Job 29 And I'll start off from verse 11. When, when the ear heard it, heard it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it approved because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like the robe of the turban. I was... I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. We get this wonderful example in Job of what righteousness on the ethical aspect stands for. We get a, a help towards the poor, a help towards the orphan, a help towards the blind, supporting the weak, being a father to the poor. Uh, and, and then go to chapter 31. It goes further with this example. Chapter 31, verse 31. If the men of my tent have not said, who is there that has not been filled with, with his meat? The sojourner has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the traveler. There it is. 
It's not only in-house, it's out-house. It goes into further being kind and showing mercy to the sojourner that walks before them. He, he goes further on in, in, in a little bit before in 24 through 25 by treating the servants well and, and, ha, and not being confident only in his wealth. So what is a good representation of ethical righteousness? Being kind to the needy, showing love and mercy to the poor, leading the helpless, serving others, and being kind to the stranger. Kind of sounds like our president, right? Not really. That's completely opposite. But Job provides this example. And I wanted to use Job. I mean, there's a lot of examples in the Bible. We, get, we got Samuel. We have David on one hand. But Job provides a perfect example because Job had no other examples to follow. Job is considered one of the first books ever written. Job, it was Job being molded by God. And God looking upon heaven and saying, this man is righteous. God demonstrated himself in the life of Job, and Job lived accordingly to God by doing what God wanted him to do towards others. So Job is a good example of this ethical righteousness. And you got to remember, these are aspects of righteousness. This isn't complete righteousness. So it isn't me saying, this is all you have to do to be righteous. Be kind to the needy. Be kind to the poor. Help the servant. Be kind to those... Uh, strangers. That's not it. That's, that's one aspect of righteousness. Another aspect of, of this ethical righteousness is being able to give freely. Now that, that's big in our modern day. How are you to live freely when everything that America has taught you is to gain for yourself so that you can live for yourself and retire happy? Everything America has portrayed for us is save for yourself, get for yourself, spend on yourself, be comfortable for yourself, and forget about others. But the righteous ethics are of giving freely. That's why the book of Psalms says, the wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is a generous giver. He gives generously. So, if you're ever in need of money, go to someone that is really righteous, and they'll just give it to you without expecting it back. So like, for instance, Henry, if you need 20 bucks today, you can go up to him and be like, hey, Henry, I need 20 bucks. And Henry won't let you borrow 20 bucks. Henry will just give it to you. In a sense, because that's what righteousness is. Now, I'm, I don't know how righteous Henry is, but, but on that aspect, it contradicts. And th this is always in contrast to the people of God against others. Everyone externally from the, from the people of God, they don't act this way. Righteousness draws this huge straight line between those from the nations and those who belong to God. It describes perfectly who, how we are not supposed to be. That's why God was tired of telling Israel you were not meant to be like them. And Israel was like, I want to be like them. We want to be like them. And God says no, because they hoard for themselves. 
It's interesting that God in most of, like in Jericho, when they, when they defeated Jericho, God said, don't keep anything for yourself. Don't keep any gold. Don't keep any treasures. Don't keep any belongings for yourself. Forget about it. Remember when, when God, even in, in Moses' time, when God, when God uh, brought manna from heaven, God said, don't, don't keep anything extra. Just eat enough for today. Just be satisfied for today. And don't worry about hoarding other things up. And the natural person was what? Shoot, I'm going to get all the meat and bread I can. And they, would, they, they, they hoarded it up in their house. And then the next day they were all filled with maggots. It's just the nature of people to seek out for themselves. But, but righteousness, ethical righteousness, shows us that we are to live as givers. We are to live as people that give and give freely. This is the type of righteousness that we have to demonstrate and that is demonstrated for us through the person of God. So my friends, I don't want to go any further into this. We'll get more into this next week. You got to remember this. You're not only declared righteous. Thank God that you've been declared righteous. Thank God that you and I have, have this wonderful agent named Jesus Christ who has declared us righteous, who has imputed his righteousness unto our unfaithfulness, and we are able to stand before God righteously. Thank God for that. Thank God that you're not still in your crooked ways or a crooked person if you've been born again. Thank God that that's behind you and that you can live a life of righteousness now. Thank God for that. But remember that because you are righteous, you are also to live a life. Of righteousness. So if you find these aspects in your life that are crooked, that are incorrect, the way you treat others, the way you walk with others, the way you do with others, what your dealings are in the world, if, if you think God is unrighteous, be careful because your declaration of righteousness isn't just for you to stand before God, it is for you to live before God that way too. So righteousness demands from us to live righteously. Because we've been bought in righteousness. So let's pray. Father, as we sit here today on this cold, cold morning, we remember your gracious acts over our crooked ways. We remember that we were not designed to, to, to live in sin, but we wanted sin. We yearned for sin because that was our nature. And in that sin, it drove us away from you as Gomer led, was led away from Hosea. And we sought after things that were not righteous. But Father, some way, somehow, in your mercy and in your compassion and in your grace and in your steadfast love, you have put us in a position of righteousness and have declared us righteous before you now i pray lord that we as a church demonstrate ethical righteousness to this unethical world to a world that is broken to a world that doesn't know what rectitude means to a world that doesn't understand the concept of righteousness that we show them what it means to be people that have been declared righteous and can now live righteously before the world. Help us. We still need you. We need you in every aspect of our lives. 
We love you with all of our hearts. Bless these people today as we go home. Let us go home safely in this difficult weather. Keep us warm. Let us always remember that our God and his actions are righteous all the time. In Jesus' name. And we all say amen. Amen. Go say hi to somebody you haven't seen in a while. Say, awesome to see you in church.